Enlighten Me, the podcast everyone is talking about with your host, Julian. And we're live. This is your host, Julian on Enlighten Me. We got a good subject today. We're going to be talking about social work. Uh, before we get started, if you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, just search Enlighten Me, as well as Google, Apple, Amazon, and what else? What I got? Spotify. If you can search me on Enlighten Me on Spotify, we're in 78 countries. Uh, we're trickling to about 160 plays a week, which is phenomenal. It used to be like, what, one to two. And if you have any suggestions or you want to critique or you want to hop on the podcast, definitely hit me up at uh, enlightenmejulian at gmail.com. But before we get started, uh, my good colleagues on here, can you introduce yourself briefly? Yeah. Hi, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I guess a little background uh, about me is uh you know i did social work for about like three and a half years um did the training became certified to, to do that um within one state um so have some pretty good background on the topic okay what what do you think and thank you for introducing yourself and joining me on enlighten me what do you think is going on with social work that it seems so corrupt and absurd these days because I, I keep seeing things especially in florida uh with social workers yeah um it i think it's well it's definitely a tough job i can say that when i did it there was definitely days uh, more often than not where i was working 10 plus hours a day um that was my life that's all I had the time to do and a lot of it just comes down to what we already know is you know not that not a lot of people want to do that work not a lot of people who do that work last very long um honestly having people who last years is kind of a shocker when it happens just because the job is stressful and it puts a lot of strain on people's personal lives so do you uh i know social workers they can do children adoption illness do you have like a special realm and like what children maybe or elderly or yeah so i worked with children and families okay which one do you like more like children's or adult um hmm well, they were it. It was combined. So there are um, two two different um, ways that people that children and families enter uh, the foster care system, um, and that is like when you have a judicial case in which the courts are involved, and we're constantly going to court. Um, checking with the judge, giving them updates as to what's going on uh, with the kids, with the parents. Um, you know, in in those cases, the children have been removed from the parents, um, and they're either staying with a fit and willing relative, or um, in a foster home. And then there's the non-judicial cases, where the level of safety um, is manageable 
within the home so the kids are not removed from the parents and they get to stay with them continue to live with them and there's a sufficient safety plan as they like to call it um to help prevent any abuse neglect or whatever um led to dcf becoming involved you said was it dc you said dcf yeah the department of children and families oh okay so what do you think what would you change if you could change things in social work what would you change what have you seen oh that's a heavy question definitely (laughs) you know there's a lot of things um one of them being is uh, honestly not not everyone who applies for the job who does the job is suitable for the job i would say to put it nicely um one uh, credential uh, need for for the job i i feel that someone who has a lot of patience and empathy really is who should be doing the job um mostly because when you lose that empathy like what motivation do you have to help these families these are people people's lives that you are now involved in and if you don't have that empathy to guide them so that you know we can be we come back out of their lives or you know have the children come back to be able to live with the parents um at that point you're not really successful in guiding the families helping the families because they're just another case to you so that empathy is very well needed and then just having the patience i mean most of the cases that I would say come in are due to substance use. Either one or both parent um, has a substance use issue. Um, and, you know, that often does result in the children being removed just because, you know, the parents are you know, using around the kids or using to the point where they're unable to provide for even the basic needs of their kids. And that's an addiction. And a lot of times with addiction, it didn't didn't come out of nowhere. A lot of times, the parents themselves have endured some sort of trauma or something that led to that point where they felt that they needed to turn to substances in order to self-medicate. So being patient with them because, you know, the unfortunate thing about... Um, you know, these judicial cases is that you have, a, most cases, the standard is you have one year, one year to complete what's called a case plan that lists like basically everything that is expected for you to complete in order uh, to hope that there's behavioral changes from the parents to a point where it's safe enough for the kids to come home. Um, and you know, if there's a substance use issue that's on there, you know, going to substance use classes, um, you know, do having negative urinalysis 
And when that doesn't happen right away, you know, you, some workers can just be like, well, like they're not doing what they need to, they don't love their kids. And it's not necessarily the case. These are people who are struggling with an addiction and they, it's not something that's going to be resolved overnight or even within a couple of days. It's something that they're going to have to work through. Yeah, and definitely. a lot of the times, if you're not getting to the root of the problem or don't even know what that is, it's hard to resolve it. So, so if they continue to fail their drug test or your, your analysis test, um, what's the next step from there? Do they not get to see their kids or do y'all say, hey, we can't help you anymore because we're wasting our time and money and efforts? Mm. Sounds pretty harsh, but I mean. Yeah, so um, as I said, so there's about a year typically that parents have to complete a case plan, especially in the, and this is in reference to like the judicial cases. So there's the courts involved. Um, and in those situations, um, if a parent has made absolutely no progress, then yeah, within that year, the judge um, may decide in the termination of parental rights trial that the parents have shown no change and um, make a ruling to uh, terminate the parental rights and put the kids up for adoption. Um, in situations where parents have shown where they're they're trying to put in the efforts, they're trying to make the changes and they're just still struggling, then um, at least the judge that I worked with, because I worked within a specific county, um, he he was very pro-parent, which was, I mean, to me, it's a good thing um, because you want to see them succeed. You really want to try to see them succeed. At least if you care, you want to see the parents succeed. You want to see the family succeed. Um, and he would extend, you know, he'd say, let's check back in within a certain amount of time. Well, that's three months, six months from now, let's check back in. And, you know, if the, there's shown more progress, then he will keep extending up until the point where it's like, it's been, I mean, some cases have been open for years, Oh, wow. I'm not talking about two. I'm talking about closer to five years. And it, it's really hard because at that point, you have to decide, like, what's really in the best interest of the kids to continue to be in foster care because the parents, although they may be trying, just can't quite get there or to keep allowing the kids to be in foster care in hopes that these parents will one day be able to get to the point where the kids can come home. So, no, that's crazy. I didn't know that it could go on for years. I thought maybe the judge would be like, well, you know, nothing's happening. So, but if, yeah, if you are making progress, I understand. I mean, he is pro-parent. I'm, I'm pretty pro-parent too, under certain guidelines. Mm -hmm. um, so tell me uh, about a case that intrigued you and probably altered you or changed your perspective on it. On life itself hmm. if you, i know you can't go too in depth but right um okay so 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 
a couple cases that come to mind. Um, I think some of the me the most challenging and the cases that I've had and the ones that like were really close to my heart um, were so I on top of being certified to be a social worker I was I did the trainings to become certified in human trafficking so I was one of the few people in my unit who were certified um, to have cases that involved human trafficking. Um, I was also one of very, very few people who was bilingual. So I was given a lot of cases um, where the primary language was Spanish. And I would say that those human trafficking cases were really hard for me. Not necessarily for the just the depth of the human trafficking topic alone and the things that I had to read or that the children disclosed to me that happened to them. Um, not even just for that, but for the simple fact that as like scarce the resources are for children in foster care it's even worse for the ones who are not citizens and it's very very sad because things that these kids need have to go through extra approvals extra staffings or we have so many barriers in getting them what they need just because of their legal status and that was very very hard for me um because it made me feel like I was not being adequate for them, especially for these ki kids. Um, they they were obviously trafficked, so they came without their parents. Yeah, their parents were in a different country, and these kids were essentially here alone. And it was to the point where I was the one constant in their life, the one constant the one person that was always going to be there and that they can learn to trust and be a support for them. So that was very, very hard. Um, especially, like I said, because then in these cases, I'm dealing with another aspect and that's dealing with immigration, with doing the paperwork to help them achieve uh, some sort of citizenship, some sort of um, visa, something to help them be able to remain. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that gaining status is so hard, um, let alone when you're a child who has been trafficked and you have no papers, no documents, not even a birth certificate. Like I fought for several years on some of them that I had since I started just to get a birth certificate, going to the embassies, try, trying to see if they would give me their birth certificate so that we can continue. You know, some of these kids didn't even know if the birthday that they thought was the day they were born was their real birthday. Do, so, do they do they send these kids back after, I guess, meeting with social workers? Like, what's the process? 
are they able to be adopted or they just have to send them back to uh, wherever they came from? Um, okay. So for the ones that I had worked with, um, so once a child is in, in foster system, um, with under, they essentially are a ward of the state. Um, the state is responsible for them until they're able to, you know, be reunified um, or be able to go back home. Um, so once these children were, were in the system, we can't just send them back and, you know, essentially try to wash your hands of them at all. You can't do that because if the child is in the system, it's because someone deemed that there was a safety risk. And along those lines, the investigation was conducted and it was determined that these children were unsafe to go home. And in these cases, it was very complicated because these children were truly unsafe to go home because if they went home, they were at risk of being killed for not paying the coyotes, the people who trafficked them here. Oh, wow. Um, and the problem was um, getting, one, establishing communication with the parents. Because then we have to reach out to them and say, hey, did you know that this stuff happened to your kid? This is this, is this current situation going on. And a lot of times, like, it was really hard for them to comprehend and navigate um, the foster care system because it's not something that they're familiar with. Um, And all these parents wanted was for their children to be in the U.S. So they were just, like, they, so it's, you know, their children in the U.S. So to them, it's like, oh, it's fine. Um, And... So it was very complicated because then you need the parents in that situation. You have to say, hey, like either you have to try to work this case plan from another country or like we're going to have to go through the termination of parental rights process. And it's very difficult, like I said, because this is not a system that they're familiar with. It's very difficult for them to comprehend. And it's difficult for even us here (laughs) Um, who, where we have the foster care system, we're kind, we're kind of aware with it, aware of it. It's even hard for us to navigate. Um, so I only imagine what it's like for them to completely understand exactly what's going on. Um, but so in these situations, it was very difficult. And the reason the birth certificate is so important is because we have to verify who the actual parents are because like in these situations like the people who were bringing the kids over were assuming all different um names different aliases so that they can't be identified and sometimes they would take on that of the actual parents so now we have to verify like who actually is the parent of this child um, and then if adoption is a big role um, or comes about, you, we can't adopt a child without a birth certificate. So that's why that birth certificate is really, really important. Um, so unfortunately, 
um, the only way a child gets sent back is if the country who these children have citizenship um, reaches out and says that they want um, them back in the country. That's the only way these kids can go back unless the parents are reunified um, by so, the judge. So, so do you guys call the social work in whatever country they are, and then y'all try to link them up based upon that? Um, so a lot of the times these other countries don't really have a system like ours, don't really have a point of contact specific for that situation. So what we were doing, what I what I was doing was um, contacting the embassies. Um, and I, if, I don't know if you've ever tried to work with an embassy, but it's not easy. Um, luckily, it was beneficial for that I was bilingual and I was able to navigate because even calling, it's in, it was in a different language. Um, and so like our attorneys would call because technically the attorneys have to, um, do all the legal stuff and, um, they would, they wouldn't be able to get very far because they couldn't understand. Um, so, uh, they would ask me to kind of take that on or do do a three-way call where I'm on it and I can tell them, you know, which number to press to reach the right, you know, extension, um, and so it gets very, very complicated. Um, and in this situation, like it had not happened in the area that I was serving, um, before. And so nobody really knew how to navigate it. And what was crazy is that like, I was asking so many questions, doing all this research. And when I had the answers and I was going and I was saying like, this is what we need, like, do I have the approval to do this or do that? Getting the answers that I needed in order to help like the children was so hard just because like no one knew how to navigate this. Oh yeah. It's like the child doesn't even know who really they are, the name that you're given. So it's like, how do you determine who really is their parent? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, just because I, like I said, I was the go-to person for these type of cases, it kind of got to the point where, like, we were starting to see, after I had a couple of these, uh, we were starting to see them pop up more frequently in the different counties, and those those other counties would reach out to me and ask me, like, what do I do? Um, because they didn't know, and then it came to the issue where even though I was telling them the steps they needed to take, where they, they, it was harder for them to navigate because the simple fact is they, they only spoke one language. They couldn't communicate with the people that they needed to effectively. And yes, we have translators, but it is very difficult because our translators are not in person. They're over the phone. Um, and so then you have like phone issues, connection issues, um, even a language as simple as Spanish has different dialects depending on, you know, where um, you're from. So like understanding the, the lingo, the slang um, of that, you know, that area, that country, um, it gets very complicated. It's not easy. Um, so, yeah.
this this seems I didn't I did not know social work entails so much. So are you a lead, like a team lead, or are you a department lead or department head? No. And that was the crazy part. I became an expert in something. Um, and I was just a regular worker. I had a supervisor above me. I was part of their unit. My supervisor had a boss above them and then a boss above them and continuous. So I was at the very bottom of the chain. You saw it see through. Is there, is there enough social workers? Would you say that? Oh, definitely not. Um, at the time that I left, I was working. So you're uh, in social work, an ideal caseload that one person should have should be 25 cases. And I will tell you that we have way more than 25 cases. At one point, I was responsible for almost 60 children. And somehow I had to be on top of all of those kids, all their information, um, their families. So we, as social workers, have to see the children uh, once a month, each month. It's a state requirement. Not seeing them once a month is a big no-no. Like, you can get in serious trouble for that. Uh, So imagine in one month, I had to somehow see 60 children and make sure that they were safe. That means doing adequate visits, visits that can last an hour. And so if I'm doing these after school hours where some of them aren't even getting home off the bus until six o'clock and I have to see 60 children at that time, it is really hard. Hence why I was working over 10 hours a day. Because I'm starting my day at 8 where I'm doing the phone calls, scheduling the things that I need to do, uh, making any referrals the kids need, whether that's for mental health, whether that's a doctor's appointment. I'm in charge, essentially, of these children. Um, And in knowing them personally, I took every case I had um, and I tried to treat it um, as as special as they were, as unique as they were, because like I said, when you're involved in these kids' lives and they see you so often, like there was times where I would close a case and the kids would be sad because I'd have to explain like, hey, like everything's good now. You're not going to see me anymore. And they couldn't understand because I had been in their lives for that long. They couldn't understand why I couldn't keep seeing them. Yeah, that's crazy. That's and that's sad. That person, and you're not even in their life that long. Maybe a year, okay, a year or so. But it's like naturally, <laughs> I would say first world problems. We're used to having somebody like a parent or our partner in our lives, and these are kids, which makes it sadder. Yeah, no, you, you essentially, I mean, you're seeing these kids quite often. Um, where I mean, there's times where the families like you know yes there were parents who that would go into this hating you and you would have to explain like look like I'm not the one who decided to remove your children and I'm not the one who removed them because one misconception that I think a lot of people have about social work is that social workers remove kids 
I'm I'm only familiar with the state of Florida. Um, I'm not familiar with the other states and their policies, but at least in Florida, social workers do not have the power to remove a child. That solely falls under the responsibility of a child protective investigator. Even if there's like something happening right in front of us, we can't remove, like take the child and leave. We have to call, you know, 911 or a child protective investigator and say like, hey, there's a safety concern, this is happening. And they have to be the ones to come and do it. But we legally don't have that responsibility or nor are we capable of doing it. Um, so, you know, I would explain that to the parents because the parents would also just kind of lump us all within the, you know, the same job description. And I had to explain to them, like, hey, like, I'm not the enemy. I was like, the, the investigators contacted me, you know, us, like all the social workers to help you be able to get your kids back. And, you know, eventually they would come to realize that, um, especially, I mean, like I said, I tried to my best. I took each case to heart um, because I wanted to see people succeed. I wanted to see these families get back together if it was possible. And so eventually they would see that. And, you know, some of them got to the point where they would flat out say, like, your family now, like, like I've they're like you've seen me cry you've seen me at my best you've seen me at my worst and like you're still here and so I mean honestly if you if you can get to that point where you're building the rapport with your family like the families that you're working with the better outcome um, is likely to happen so for for now, do you see like an incline in certain, I guess, of course not, uh, we already did human trafficking, but do you see an incline in like what older people or drug abuse or I know opioids is wild right now, rampant. And do you see more in human trafficking? Like what is, what is like soaring right now that's like has your attention? Oh, substance abuse. By far, like I said, most of the cases we had were due to substance use. And what's unfortunate is that a lot of the times it's an endless cycle where like the adults, they were once children in foster care and their parents were in their shoes. And so it's like an endless cycle of families coming in and out, sometimes the same families. Um, but substance use is definitely a, a big issue. Um, and, you know, I can only talk about the area that I served, which was one specific county. And um, that was a big issue with substances. Yeah, I know the opioids and all that stuff is, especially out here in Florida. I think Florida's been, <laughs> Florida's off the chart. They're off the chain. I don't know what's going on in Florida, but everything's going down in Florida right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially with human trafficking, like we, we discussed briefly like the, last week or something like that. Yeah, and and a lot of it um, has to do with, one, Florida's access to water. Um, and then also that interstate, I-10, it travels yeah. through so many states 
And because of it, so many traffickers utilize it. That's crazy. How you can't really d detect human trafficking in trucks these days. I know they 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 found those kids. I think it was in Texas. They overheated and they all died inside that uh tractor trailer. So I don't, I don't even know how. The, I don't know. I know there's way stations. Like I don't know how lucrative it is. I know they get their weight and stuff like that. But you just start examining inside these containers. I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, not. I-10 is not only big for transporting, but also where um, the transactions are taking place. Um, so, like, uh, like I said, I-10 is just a big highway, so it, trucks travel up and down there. And so you're having um, these traffickers, you know, utilize that as a way to conduct their business, you know, whether that's um, using the individuals um, at, for sex, for, I mean, in, in this situation, it's mostly used for sex where they would kind of, um, kind of target like where the truck stops are along the highway and have that little transaction could be completed there and then you know continue that's that's fun how long have you, have you been doing social work um i did it for three and a half years i recently stopped just because as i said um in that position i was working hours um there was a time where my safety was compromised because I was forced to work 24 hours straight, no sleep. Um, and it put my, it put me at risk because I, you know, this job requires a lot of driving. Um, and so I was, I'm forced to drive, you know, on no sleep, risk of falling asleep behind the wheel. Um, and so it was, very it was getting to a point where it was impacting my health um and i had to to recognize that like it was time for me to step away um and it was a very sad and difficult choice because i didn't want to um like i said i you know i got close um with each case i was i'm a very empathetic person um so, you know, I worried about what would happen to the cases that I had if I left because I was worried about whose hands they would be going to. So, like I said, I, I don't believe that everyone who's in social work right now needs to be doing that position. Um, it really requires a special kind of person, a special heart to be able to, to do that effectively. Um, luckily, uh, everybody knew how I felt. And so um, I got to know who was taking my cases and which ones. Um, and I approved of um, those individuals. I, you know, I, I had worked with them. I knew that uh, the families would be in good hands, and that's the only way I was comfortable leaving. Um, 
but you know, I did that for a while before it was eventually um, too much. Because I said the treat the the conditions that social workers are having to work under um, is very stressful. And like I said, there's times where like our safety isn't taken into consideration. No one should have to work 24 hours straight. Um, where you know you're having to then put yourself at risk. Yeah, that's definitely definitely should not do that. So I understand exactly where you come from, especially when I was working as a drill sergeant. So I'd fall asleep, or I'd forget my pin code and my uh, my credit card and stuff like that, or my debit card and everything like that. So clearly, you understand that. Um, well, the way I see it too, I mean, I'm responsible for children, so if I'm not a hundred percent, there's no way that I could be in a state of, you know, taking care of children, whether it's, you know, driving them to their appointment or driving them to see their parents. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Do do you see a lot of people start to get out that, uh, that field or is more people starting to come? Oh no. Um, right now, I, I mean, I still have a lot of friends, um, doing social work and I will tell you they're struggling more than ever. Um, no one wants to do that job. You're underpaid, you're overworked. It's funny, all you the have, jobs that help society are underpaid. It's, yeah, it's, it's ironic. You have high caseloads, and I will tell you, like, the amount of things that you're doing as a social worker, there's no time in the world to be able to do it all, especially when you have a high caseload. And that's how things fall through the cracks. People fall through the cracks, and that's in a in a position like this where it impacts families that's just not okay things definitely need to change um with respect to like caseloads with work environment and i think until that happens we're going to continue to see a decline in people doing social work and staying in social work so as drugs rise and more people become addicted, social workers are dwindling. Huh. Yeah. yeah. It's very sad because then, like I said, when you don't have the time and the, the manpower to get the work done, that's when people start falling through the cracks and get lost in the system. This is crazy. This is definitely crazy. And I, I've I've stumbled upon people saying they're a social worker, but I never really indulged in a conversation. This is my first time, actually. Yeah, and, I mean, it's people don't like <laughs> us. People don't like us, and I, you know, and, and like I said, I I can understand. I mean, I definitely had a case where um, the woman had been in the system before, and she flat out told me that she didn't like me just because I was in the field, and she's had a bad experience gladly at the end of it I you know and I I flat out told her I was like hey I was like I know I'm sorry that you had a bad experience but I'm not that person and you know I told her that I only hope that within time that she'd recognize that I was there to help and eventually she did you know she had thanked me you know at the time she was able to reunify with her kids she thanked me and she even told me, she's like, you know, I, you like, you really kind of changed my outlook on, um, the system. And, but that's just, that's just one person. That's just me. And, um, so 
I can understand why people don't like social workers. They they get a bad rep, but I think people also don't take the time to get to like truly understand what the work entails and the thing, like what we actually do. Cause we get that a lot where people are like, oh, I tell someone, oh, you know, I'm a social worker back when I was still doing that. And they'd be like, oh, you just take people's kids away. And I'm like, um, no, <laughs> that's actually not my job at all. <laughs> it's the complete opposite. My job is to help try to get their kids back. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. What is that? What is it? Uh, CPS does that, don't they? Help child protective service. Yeah, no, yeah. They're the ones that take your face away. Yes, they're the ones, and people don't realize like we're completely two different entities, two employed by two different organizations. Um, and the investigators are the ones. Like once they've done that, they refer the families to our organization, the social work, um, and say, "Here you go. This is all the information." and you know like go go ahead and try to see if you can help the families and if not then you know uh there's those consequences but yeah it's different two two different organizations <laughs> shit well i, I appreciate you <laughs> you're gonna enlighten a lot of people on this because you know i I'm, I'm pretty well versed in a lot of things in life but you know i'd be a fool to say i knew everything and this just opened my mind up a lot. Oh, this is just like the opener. <laughs> no, no, this is just literally like the surface. There's a lot to it. Um, I definitely hope that like people um, who listen to this kind of learn something new. And um, who knows? Maybe they'll be intrigued and want to get involved somehow. If, if you could... Uh ask everyone that's listening how what could they do or how could they support uh social workers um i think that if you're aware of any resources just like reaching out to the to um your your local organization that you know does social work um i know that in the county that i served there was a huge lack of resources even just for mental health you know, someone needed counseling. Uh, sometimes there was no uh, appointments available or, you know, they'd wait months. Uh, and luckily we had some um, some uh, resources where, like, they understood the lack of resources and they would hold, you know, some specific slots for, you know, just like the uh, people involved in the system. And so that was really helpful. Um, we had a, oh, an extraordinarily amount of like providers, like dental providers who would do services for free um, because our, some of our kids didn't have insurance, especially our kids that didn't have citizenship. They didn't qualify for Medicaid. Um, and so they would, they would, you know, do those services for free. And those people did that out of the kindness of their heart. Um, so if you have a business where you feel like someone um, in the system could benefit, like reach out and say, hey, like, I'm willing to do this, no cost. Um, or like donating clothes. Uh, some of our kids are, would leave the homes with nothing but what they were wearing on their back. 
Um, so donating clothes, donating bags, suitcases, that trash bag um, thing, that's real. Uh, that is very much real. Our kids would be traveling with bags and oftentimes it wasn't like it was their own parents who put their stuff in a bag like a trash bag instead of giving them like a, a duffel bag or a suitcase um so sometimes if we knew stuff was happening we would try to find a duffel bag or a suitcase something so that they didn't have to walk out with a trash bag so just get involved that's yeah I, i'm trying to do my part and i definitely will do my part i try doing things without telling people because i always feel like it needs to be you know from the heart you know genuine but i'm definitely going to step it up and, on my end as well oh thanks yeah um, like yeah. i said it's a it's a it's a tough thing uh, a lot goes on behind the scenes that just people aren't aware of and I appreciate you bringing that to light and uh, coming on here and giving me your time. I know we we talked about it. Yeah, we've been talking about this. And I know we're probably going to do two other podcasts. We're going to dip back into uh, human trafficking, probably. Yeah, yeah. No, I listened to your other one on human trafficking. And I definitely think that it was like a really good start. And there's a lot to human trafficking to get into. So oh. complex. <laughs> See, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to run that uh run that around the block again but um <laughs> I, I appreciate you uh hopping on here i really do no i thank you for inviting me and giving the opportunity to shed some light onto something that i think that unless you experience firsthand it's really hard to get an idea of oh, what's definitely. actually happening definitely definitely okay well uh hey everybody she'll be back definitely and uh we appreciate y'all listening to Like Me. And if y'all could, again, subscribe, share, and uh, just, just listen. And give me some feedback when y'all have an opportunity to. But uh, we're going to sign out now. And uh, any last words? No. Thanks for having me. Of course. And uh, that's Enlighten Me. We're signing out. All right. Take care, y'all.